We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode of Inside Golf Podcast is brought to you by RickRunGood.com. All of the stats, tools, and info that I will be referencing on this podcast can be found over at RickRunGood.com. With golf season kicking into high gear, now is the absolute perfect time to sign up. We've got everything you need, including three of my premium written articles, an in-depth course breakdown, weekly season-long fantasy golf rankings, and the most popular of the bunch, my Wednesday final DraftKings thoughts article, which uh, we have been off to an incredible start this year all over Adam Hadwin this week and Xander and Sungjae were my two guys at the top who both enter the final round in Phoenix inside the top 10 as I record this early on Sunday morning so sign up today not only do you get all of my written work that is by far the best place to reach me for questions I can tell you right now With all the stuff I've got on my plate between Monday and Wednesday, if you DM me uh, on Twitter with a question between Monday and Wednesday, extremely hit or miss whether I will get to it before the tournament starts. But if you DM me in the Rick Run Good Slack channel, I can guarantee you I will get back to you within the day. So not only can you reach me with any questions in there, There's a ton of smart people in that Slack channel, not to mention all of the additional tools for you to do your own research in there. You know, model generator, lineup generator, ownership projections. We've got Corn Ferry Tour data, European Tour data, uh, data and strokes gained from the majors, which I continue to harp on. That is extremely, extremely important when building models. It's got literally everything you need. If you're listening to this podcast and actually want to hear me talk for 45 minutes to an hour on Riviera, then I can guarantee you, you are going to have interest in all of the tools that we've got over at rickrungood.com. So sign up today using promo code Andy on the page where you sign up. There's a little coupon code section. You can type in Andy there. And that is the important part if you want to help me out. So sign up today. We would love to have you as part of the team. All right. Coming up on this podcast, Riviera, probably my favorite golf course on the PGA Tour. Um, I would argue that for the players, this is probably the most important non-major or players championship, I guess, event of the year in terms of what it means 
to the players to win this tournament. And there are many reasons for that. This has uh, been one of the longest standing tournaments on the PGA Tour. It's right in my backyard, formerly known as the LA Open. This tournament uh, has been hosted at you know pretty much all of the Los Angeles courses over the years, including my home course back in 1927, El Caballero. But it's been played all across the city, Rancho Park, Fox Hills, LACC, Hellcrest, Wilshire, all courses that I love, um, all courses that I'm very familiar with. But basically since 1973, we have been going to Riviera, um, which is one of the greatest golf courses in the country, one of the greatest golf courses in the world, um, at least architecturally in terms of its routing and design. Um, it's up there. And I've read a lot about it over the years, so I'm excited to share a few takes on it. It's also worth noting that this is an elevated event now, too. So once again, for the second week in a row, $20 million purse, $3.6 million to the winner. Um, because it's an invitational, the lines get a little muddled, right? So like the API, the Heritage, the Charles Schwab Challenge, and the Memorial Tournament— those are the other invitationals. And um, now because this is an elevated event, the field is increasing from 120 players to 132 players, I believe. And once again, the field is awesome. John Rahm, Rory McIlroy, Justin Thomas, Xander, Finau, Scheffler, Colin, Cantlay, Zalatoris is back, Burns, Hideki, Spieth, Cameron Young, Sungjae. And of course, Tiger Woods, um, which I'm sure we'll talk about a bunch more throughout the week, but it's pretty damn loaded, um, which it should be, right? Because this is probably the best course that we get on the PGA Tour all year outside of the major venues. Um, and the event is put on by Tiger, of course. So, you know, like I said, I think one of the reasons why this tournament is so meaningful is because of, you know, at the Arnold Palmer Invitational, rest in peace, but you used to get that handshake on 18 from Arnold Palmer at, at, at um, the Memorial. You get that handshake uh, coming off 18 from Jack and here at Riviera, you get that, uh, you get that handshake um, from Tiger Woods coming off the 18th green. Joaquin Neiman once said that it was the best, uh, the best moment in his entire career, uh, walking off that 18th green and getting to shake hands with Tiger. And then uh, he went to live and, and quickly said that the live event that he won, or I don't know, maybe his team won, um, was the best moment of his golf career. So quick turnaround there uh, from our guy Neiman. But he is the defending champion. Um, really unfortunate to not be able to see him back this year. I um. I went to this tournament last year I, and I remember going on uh, Friday and uh, not a lot of people were following Neiman um, except his like friends. He had this like contingent of five to seven, I think of his maybe buddies from back home or Chile or whatever. But I remember there weren't a lot of people following him despite the fact that you know, he went wire to wire last year, I believe. He was winning the tournament from Thursday afternoon on, but he had an early tee time on Friday morning. And I remember getting there early and getting to watch um, 
his entire round. I walked pretty much 18 holes just following Neiman as he was in, in the lead. And it was, you know, some of the most impressive golf that I've seen in such a long time. I could, he, he might watch out for him at a major this year. He might, you know, of all the players that went to live, I actually, for me, the one that I cared about the most slash had the biggest relationship to, in terms of a fan was Neiman actually. Um, never been a massive, I like DJ a lot. Never been a massive Cam Smith guy. I've, I was a huge Neiman guy. Um, so anyway, watch out for him at the majors this year. I think I think he, he might be a factor in at least one of them. But uh, not to get too sidetracked, we are going to Riviera Country Club in the Pacific Palisades, California. Um, like I said, kind of right in my backyard, pretty much almost walking distance from my mom's place. Uh, but it's a par 71 measuring 7,322 yards designed by the great George Thomas in 1927 with a Bill Core and Ben Crenshaw restoration in 1992. Tom Fazio has come in and done uh, done some several tweaks as well. You just hear my voice drop immediately. Uh, he did some work in 2008, which we'll talk about. The greens are POA measuring 75,000 square feet, 7,500 square feet, Jesus, on average. Uh, Kikuyu Fairways, Kikuyu Rough, uh, one of the only two courses on tour that features Kikuyu Rough, the other being Torrey Pines. Um, and Riviera was basically designed in 1926 by, uh, George Thomas and William Bell. And Thomas is one of the greatest architects of all time. Um, I would highly recommend his book, Golf Course Architecture in America, its strategy and construction. Probably one of the best books on architecture you'll ever read. Again, I know that architecture isn't for everyone. I don't care. I'm not some authority on architecture. Many people like golf for different reasons. You can watch golf for whatever reason you like and have whatever hobbies you like. For me, I'm personally into the architecture stuff. So, um, if you are like me and you like stuff like that, which again is probably a very niche aspect of the gambling community and, and you know, the I guess the golf community in general, I have no idea. Again, you can like what you like and be into what you're into. Uh, but you, if you are into architecture at all, I could not recommend that book enough. It's up there with Doak's Confidential uh, and The Spirit of St. Andrews for me personally in terms of my favorite books on architecture also jeff shackleford wrote an entire book on riviera essentially um the exact title of that book is now escaping me but that's a good read as well um so thomas is basically the la guy basically every great golf course in the greater los angeles area there's a very good chance that george thomas was involved uh, if it was not, you know, a, a new modern golf course. He also designed LACC North, which I believe is his masterpiece. I think some would maybe say Riviera is his masterpiece. I would say LACC North is his masterpiece, but Riviera is not super far behind. Um, Bel Air Country Club, Ojai Country Club, Palos Verdes, Satakoy, um, I really enjoy Satakoy. That's a great course too. Um, and, uh, you know, these are all 
George Thomas Designs in Los Angeles. But George Thomas is actually a Philadelphia guy. He was born and raised in Philadelphia, and he was very good friends with a guy named Hugh Wilson, who designed Marion. Uh, He was also very good friends with a guy named George Crump, who designed Pine Valley. And he was also very good friends with a guy named A.W. Tillinghast, which is probably the guy that you've heard of the most of that group. And of course, Tillinghast designed Winged Foot, uh, amongst a number of other extremely iconic golf courses in the Northeast. Uh, But this group of people, Tillinghast, Hugh Wilson, George Thomas, uh, William Bell, George Crump, um, they were called the Philadelphia School of Golf Course Design. Um, and along with Crump and Tillinghast and Wilson and, and a guy named William Flynn as well as part of that group, they were some of the first guys ever to really innovate golf course architecture in America with more dog legs, with more risk reward holes. And basically George Thomas uh, moved to Los Angeles in 1919 and he ended up bringing that Philadelphia school style of architecture to the West Coast. I could do about 45 more minutes on this, um, but I'm not going to do that. So let's get into the actual course. Uh, Riviera is a par 71, 7,322 yards on average, nicknamed Hogan's Alley. Ben Hogan uh, was just one of many to love this place, but it is a classic, classical style golden age old school golf course, right? As I mentioned from the Philadelphia school in the golden age of golf course design, the best era of golf course architecture, in my opinion, and I don't believe it's particularly close, but this is a golf course that is tight off the tee. Uh, It's on a really, really good piece of land that plays in a canyon, really provocative topography that you're getting at Riviera. So you're not going to get a lot of even lies. Um, Tom Fazio, who, in my opinion, should be kept miles and miles away from golf courses like this, uh, did a little bit of a redesign in 2008, and thank God he did not change much. Um, He basically just extended the golf course in terms of length a little bit to uh, account for modern technology. And honestly, I think it needs like a, I think it needs one more in 2023. I think it's, it's, you know, I, I remember watching Joaquin Neiman and Cameron Young last year hit wedges on 18, which is not supposed to be a wedge hole. That green was not designed for a wedge approach shot. That green was designed for mid to long iron approach shot. Um, so it could use maybe one more, a little, a little beefing up for some of these PGA tour pros, you know, again, like in 2008, they added more distance, but what the driving distance average between 2008 and 2023, it's probably another 10 yards. Um, but the biggest thing to keep in mind about Riviera hardest fairways to hit on the PGA tour, only 55% driving accuracy here compared to the tour average of 62%. That number was 49.2% last year. So players on average weren't even hitting 50% of their fairways. Now, I have a theory about that. I think it has some to do with kind of what I just mentioned a little bit, where with the way that modern technology is now, I actually believe that players should hit driver on this course often. And I think some of the players are starting to realize that. 
Um, but the greens and regulation percentage here, also very low, 57% compared to the tour average of 66%, well below tour average. Uh, the bunkers are deep. Sand safe percentage is really low on this course. The rough is Kikuyu, which can get dicey. Um, and we are back to Poa greens. So putting inside 10 feet is always going to be uh, close to the very toughest on tour. Three putt avoidance here is higher than tour average. So we are back to looking uh, for players that have performed well on Poa greens. And these greens are a lot faster and even more difficult than the Poa greens that we saw at Pebble Beach and Torrey Pines. Now, a lot of that has to do with the climate. Um, like I mentioned, Riviera is in the middle of a canyon. So sunlight is completely reflected uh, off the Santa Monica Mountains and kind of bounces onto the course. And that's why you see uh, a lighter green tone to these greens at Riviera compared to the darker green that you see at Pebble and Torrey Pines, which are both on more overcast climates on the course and, you know, closer to the water and at colder climates. Um, whereas Riviera gets a ton of sunlight. It's right in the middle of the of a canyon. And that's why you see that lighter green texture on the greens. I mentioned uh, the Kikuyu Rough this course in Torrey Pines, only courses that feature this type of rough on the PGA Tour. I actually don't think Kikuyu's that bad, and the stats kind of reflect it. I, 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 I've noticed here, and again, I'll talk about this more with off the tee, but you know, players, I think, should not be super, super scared of the rough um, at this course, and the, the stats kind of bear that out as well. You're, you're going to get some really good lies in Kikuya. Sometimes it's going to be completely buried. Um, but that's the same way that it is with Bermuda, right? And, you know, there isn't a ton of rhyme or reason to it. Uh, but players are going to have to deal with the rough quite a bit this week because these fairways are extremely difficult to hit. Now on the surface, they measure 33 yards wide on average, which isn't even that narrow. I mean, just for context, Torrey Pines, measures 26 yards wide on on average but this course features just as difficult fairways to hit as Torrey Pines if not harder um despite being wider because they play so firm and fast and because nearly none of the holes are going in a straight direction here right so like for example if you hit the ball straight at Torrey Pines if your ball doesn't have a ton of spin or a ton of curvature on it, which players are now easily able to do with modern equipment, like the ball's going to stay in the fairway at Torrey Pines. Whereas at Riviera, you've got a ton of slope, a ton of undulation. None of the holes are really dead straight the way that the holes at Torrey Pines are. A lot of these holes are curving around bunkers. And so that makes the fairways play a lot more narrow than they actually are. And, you know, this is really a shot makers golf course because of that, right? Where there are a lot of different ways that you can attack this golf course. Again, you can hit driver on every hole if that's the way this course suits your mind. And again, that's probably what I would recommend doing at this point based on where modern technology is. But again, I'll talk about that a little bit more off once we get into off the tee, but 
I mean, you also don't have to hit driver at all if you don't want to, and you can find just as much success. And that creative aspect of it, where there are just all these different ways to attack these holes, that's why Bubba has been so good here, right? Um, And that is the reason also why architecture nerds like myself consider this to be one of the seminal works of the 20th century because that very reason, right? There is zero homogeneity to the strategy here. It doesn't necessarily favor a draw or a fade consistently the way that a Jack Nicklaus course will just basically lazily design courses where you can just pull driver and hit a fade on every single hole. Riviera actually really rewards players that can work the ball both ways off the tee and think creatively. Again, this is why Bubba has been so good here. This is why um, you're going to see a lot of the same names play well here that you will at Augusta because Augusta is in that same classical vein where, yes, it's a much different golf course in Riviera. Augusta has a lot more room to operate off the tee, but both of these golf courses embody a similar ethos of creativity and shot making because there's so much undulation to this course and the ball actually moves on the ground, right? It's not just target golf. Um, they just, they don't really make golf courses like this anymore where it's just target golf at, at Riviera. You actually have to take your medicine sometimes and play away from pins. Um, and that's why I think Thomas was one of the uh, best to ever do it. Right. So like, for example, uh, Adam Scott, who has been absolutely awesome here, uh, said, and I quote, I really just like a lot of the holes out here. I'm very comfortable and somehow I managed to putt generally well here when it's one of the courses that guys struggle most on tour with. Something about it reminds me a lot of the golf in Australia, end quote. Um, And the Australia comparison is apt um, because in my opinion, the best thing about golf courses in Australia and their philosophy over there is that they water their courses very differently than how we water our courses in the United States. In Australia, they barely water their courses at all. They believe in firm and fast conditions, which is why the courses in the sand belt, I don't know if you remember that President's Cup, I believe in 2019 at Royal Melbourne, um, courses in the sand belt play super, super firm and fast. And Riviera plays super, super firm and fast. So again, it's not a shock to see that Cam Smith's finished top five here. Mark Leishman, top five. Adam Scott has won here. Aaron Baddeley has won here. You're going to see a little bit of an Aussie connection. Shout out Cam Davis. Yikes. Um, And if it gets windy at Riviera, uh, just kind of like what we saw at TBC Scottsdale, where if the condition, any golf course that plays like in a canyon, if the golf course, if there's not wind at all, um, it's like the most perfect conditions ever. It's right. It's like playing golf in a dome. But if you get wind that is kind of, you know, again, because it's in a canyon, is swirling around and kind of bouncing off the Santa Monica, Santa Monica Mountains, it can be absolutely brutal and really, really tough to judge. And you've seen that some years, right? Where James Hahn won at six under par, Bill Haas won at seven under par. If it gets windy, it will play 
hard, if not harder than most major championships. So keep an eye on the weather forecast as the week goes on. Um, I'll talk way more about that in my Wednesday article. Um, and last year, you know, like I said, it, it ranked 15 out of 38 courses in difficulty, uh, which is way higher. That's a bit of an anomaly. So it played easier last year. It's the easiest it's played since 2017. Um, really just good weather last year at that event. Um, and like I said, like, I, I think this golf course could use one more, just a little bit of length to restore some of the integrity on some of the longer par fours. Like I think, I think some of those 430 yard holes that were once mid to long iron holes and are now wedge holes. I think, I think some of those, um, would probably need to get just a touch lengthened or we could probably expect to see this trend continue. I mean, don't get me wrong. Riviera is still really hard. Uh, it could play shorter than it is and it would play really hard. Um, but I, I do remember noticing like, oh man, there are some more shorter iron approach shots than I remember at this golf course. They're just, again, that's the other thing about firm and fast golf courses, right? Like if you hit a good drive, the ball is going to roll for absolute ever on a firm golf course, which makes it play a lot shorter. Um, and one of the quotes I'll end with this before we get into the stats. Um, but my favorite quote about this course uh, actually comes from Rory and he says, and I think this summarizes Riviera really well. And I quote, we don't play golf courses like this anymore on tour. It's not overly long. You don't have to really bomb it off the tee, but it's real strategic. You've got to place your ball on the right sides of the fairways. You have to make sure you hit it to the right side of the greens. You can't really short side yourself here. You can't really get it above the pin. It's a real thinker's golf course, and it's a real treat to play something like this because we don't get to play them that often anymore, Um, end quote. So, and well, you know, he talks about one more thing and says, I think the stat that he noticed, that he says he noticed the other day, was that there's more uh five foot putts and inside five foot putts missed here than anywhere on tour. Right. And so inside six feet is going to be really important here. So what I like about this golf course, I think what Rory's basically saying is, Hey, this is a really well-rounded golf course, right? This is not the type of course that if you have one specific elite skill set, then you can just completely take advantage of all day. This is not actually a course like Torrey Pines, where just because John Rahm is a super elite driver of the ball, he starts on second base, right? This is actually a golf course where you need to have a little bit of everything in your arsenal, right? And that's why my model this week is really, really um, balanced in terms of the weighting that I have on off the tee approach around the green and putting. Because, and again, we talk about, I always try and like really dumb it down and say, and, and say, okay, what are the key boxes that you have to check at a golf course like this for me to consider you to play? And it's like, I'm really looking for well-rounded golfers this week. You know, the type of guys that gain strokes in all four major categories, right? Because since this course has such difficult fairways to hit and is so narrow 
you want to be a great driver of the ball because these greens have so much undulation and are really difficult to hit. Obviously, you want to be a great iron player and a great middle to long iron player on this course, but you also need a hell of a short game. You need to be a great bunker player and you need to be a great putter inside 10 feet because you're going to have more six to eight footers on this course on POA, which is the most difficult surface to make putts inside 10 feet. So uh, it's just a course where no matter how good you are on approach, you're going to hit less greens than you're used to. No matter how good of a short game you have, you're going to have more six to eight footers for par than you're used to. So I will dive right into the stats and talk about a little bit more specifically what I think you should be looking at. But before we do that, let's take a quick break. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, off the tee. So last year, 11.8% of strokes gained at Riviera came off the tee, which is uh, pretty healthily below, actually, the tour average of 15.2%. And Riviera last year ranked 13th out of 38 courses in off the tee difficulty, which is actually the easiest that it has ranked in the last eight years. Again, a bit of an anomaly last year. It routinely ranks inside the top 10 in toughest courses to gain strokes off the tee. I've mentioned that it has the lowest driving accuracy percentage on the entire PGA Tour. Um, these fairways are incredibly challenging to hit. I've already talked about a little bit why they are so hard to hit, despite them being not uh, as narrow as a Tory Pines. Uh, but honestly, the theory that I've kind of come to, and I, I kind of like changed my tune on this one, just thinking about and reading back what I said about this golf course last year. Um, but I actually think this is a golf course where I'm looking specifically more so for guys that hit the ball a really long way off the tee. 
Um, and I, I didn't used to really feel that way about Riviera because it's such a strategically interesting golf course off the tee with a lot of like very specific questions that you're asked that it's asking of you. And, you know, I still believe that you can take an approach of not hitting very many drivers and still have a ton of success here. Um, but I do think that it does favor long drivers of the golf ball, the way that it is set up now. Uh, because again, the Kikuyu rough, it ranked 38th out of 38 courses last year in miss fairway penalty. And there's absolutely zero water on this course. So why wouldn't you just pull driver often, right? Why wouldn't you just take an aggressive approach? I mean, you look at the winners, there's zero correlation between driving accuracy or here, driving accuracy here. JB Holmes won this event hitting 50% of his fairways. Aaron Baddeley won this event hitting 50% of his fairways. Adam Scott won this event hitting 40% of his fairways, right? Um, so, you know, again, I'm not like massive on off the tee here. I actually think that off the tee of the four major statistical the, the big major four buckets of off the tee approach around the green and putting um, in terms of strokes gained off the tee has accounted for the least of those four. So I'm actually the least heavy on off the tee compared to what I am on approach around the green and putting. Um, but I would favor distance over accuracy here, right? Like, I, of course, positioning off the tee at a course like Riviera matters. But if I was advising players how to play this course, just walking through hole by hole, I would say that there's much more of a benefit to hitting driver and playing aggressively until they lengthen some of these par fours. You know, even the most accurate drivers of the ball are going to miss fairways. And I could not find any correlation to players hitting a ton of fairways necessarily translating to success here. Like I said, I think I kind of like underestimated how little of a problem the Kikuyu rough is just looking at it statistically. Riviera ranked 36 out of 38 courses in rough penalty, 37th out of 38 courses in fraction of missed fairways that result in a penalty stroke, you know, add all of this together. And I actually think this is a course where power off the tee is far more important than accuracy. And with only 11.8% of strokes gained coming off the tee, you know, I still think being an overall great driver of the ball, it's important at Riviera, um, but I don't think it's as, as important as having an elite short game. Um, so again, I'm higher this week on distance than I am on accuracy, but overall, uh, probably a little bit lower on off the tee in general compared to some of the other stuff. Approach... Uh, again, really, really low greens and regulation percentage, and it's a really tough course on approach. Again, especially when it plays firm and fast, these greens are can be very difficult to hold, and last year it had the fifth toughest greens to hit on the PGA Tour, and each of the last eight years it has featured one of the lowest greens and regulation percentages on the PGA Tour. In 2018, it featured the lowest greens and regulation percentage on the PGA Tour. And in back-to-back years of 2020 and 2021, it featured the second lowest greens and regulation percentage 
on the PGA Tour, which in my opinion all just kind of contributes to the importance of short game on this course. Uh, but the proximity buckets that ranked above, that consistently rank above tour average are 150 to 175 and 175 to 200. Last year, 26.1% of approach shots came from 150 to 175 yards, which is well above the tour average of 20.3%. That number rises even more to 26.9% historically. And 175 to 200, a little bit less, you've got 22.8% of approach shots coming from that range, which is, again, healthily above the tour average of 175 And then you've got 24.5% of approach shots coming from 200 yards plus, which is, again, slightly above the tour average of 23.1%. And that number does fall a little bit historically to right around closer to tour average. But this is definitively a mid-iron course, right? With, you know, nine of the 11 par fours on this course measure between 430 and 490 yards, which now for most players is a middle iron, right? You know, a 490 yard hole is, you know, you're going to see guys still have 150 yards in on 490 yard holes sometimes the way that they're driving the ball these days on firm golf courses. So I think the key range of 150 to 200 yards is really the one that you want to be focusing your attention on this week. But again, I'm not going overly crazy on iron play this week any more so than I do any other week because again I think Riviera has this element of you know yes even the best iron players are going to miss greens and you know I want to give credence in my model to stuff like short game sand saves poa putting putting inside 10 feet bogey avoidance right like all that stuff like that I think is really important to look at as well at Riviera Um, So again, like I'm not overly heavy on any one main thing or severely underweight on one main thing either. If I could like dumb it down and just sum up Riviera in one sentence, I think it's that you want to look at really, really well-balanced players this week. You want to look more for guys that do a good job of gaining strokes in all four major categories, right? This is a week where like a guy like Patrick Cantlay or a guy like Xander Shoffley, and both of those guys have been good at Riviera, so that's not I'm not breaking any news here. But those are guys, again, Rory too, by the way, but those are guys that don't, they're like top 50 in all four strokes gain categories, right? Like they do a really good job of playing a well-balanced style of golf where they're gaining a little bit in every single category instead of spiking in one category. And I think those are kind of the guys that you want to look for this week at Riviera. Around the green, um, 21.4% of strokes gain have come around the green. That is way above tour average of 14.5%. Historically, that number falls to 19.3%. But honestly, this is one of the most short game intensive golf courses on the entire PGA Tour. And this will probably be, comparatively speaking, one of the highest uh, weights for me on around the green out of any other course on the entire PGA Tour. I mean, Augusta's up there, Muirfield Village and Bay Hill, I have to kind of, those happen too long ago for me to really remember. Those are just the ones off the top of my head that I remember also being really, really high on short game. But Riviera is one of those courses where 
you know, with such a low greens and regulation percentage combined with the fact that it's so hard to putt inside 10 feet. So it places such a great emphasis on the guys that can consistently chip to tap in range because the way that pole works, if you just continuously keep giving yourself six footers for par in every hole, you're going to start missing some of those. You just are. Poa is not the type of course where you're going to have guys bang in, you know, 90, 95% of their, you know, 30, 30 putts inside 10 feet over the course of a week. It's just going to be far lower than tour average in that sense. So there suddenly becomes, you know, you combine that with the low greens and regulation percentage. And, you know, basically there's going to be maybe eight holes every single round, seven or eight holes every single round where you're going to have to get up and down for par. Um, right. And so again, like this is a really, really short game intensive week for me in terms of putting, uh, we are back to POA. So Riviera ranked fourth out of 38 courses in strokes gained putting difficulty last year. And each of the last eight years, it is ranked inside the top nine toughest putting courses on the PGA tour. Now, in my opinion, um, I think this is the toughest of the three Poa courses to putt on. Um, I think these are tougher greens than Pebble Beach, and I think these are tougher greens than Torrey Pines. These are the most undulating of those three greens. Uh, there's the most subtlety in terms of the internal breaks uh, on this course, on those greens. This is probably the greens that play the fastest again, especially if you're going to get a lot of sunlight on those greens and you know, the PGA tour decides not to water them too much in between rounds. I think you could make a case that maybe outside of Augusta, this is the toughest putting course on the PGA tour. Um, and again, I think the reason statistically why that gets bared out is because, you know, at Riviera or sorry, at, at Pebble and Torrey, Putting inside 15 feet is really hard, right? But if you look at lag putting at a course like Riviera or Torrey, or, uh, or sorry, at Riviera or at Torrey Pines or Pebble Beach, it's not that difficult of a lag putting course because the greens are relatively flat, right? So, yes, it's difficult to hold short putts on POA, but in terms of lag putting, like Pebble Beach and Torrey Pines, they don't have like super tricky, difficult to read greens. The tell for me why I think Riviera is so much harder than those courses to putt on is because not only are you getting this top five ranking in putting uh, inside five feet, 10 feet, and 15 feet, but you're also, each of the last eight years, Riviera has ranked inside the top eight in putting difficulty from greater than 15 feet too. So it's a really tough lack putting course too, right? And and I again, I think what separates Riviera from the other two POA courses is that, like I said, lag putting on this course is extremely difficult as well. I still think you want to be very heavy on putting inside 10, 15 feet, because you're just going to have so many of those important par putts, those important six to eight footers for par to keep you in your round and keep your round going. Um, but again, this is a week where POA putting, putting inside 15 feet, um, approach putting, which is a stat that we have on Rick Run Good that essentially measures 
um, how good of a lag putter you really are. Again, three putt avoidance, not really a real predictive stat in my opinion. Um, so really, really important on this part. Of course, once again, I'm looking specifically for players that have a proven track record of success on POA. I think that is one of the main things that you want to look at. Um, and then in terms of scoring stats, like I'm not really looking at prolific birdie makers. I'm not really looking at long or short courses. I'm not really looking at par five scoring, right? I'm basically looking for guys um, that rate out highly in stats like bogey avoidance and difficult scoring conditions because I think that this is a course that is all about staying within your game, right? I, I want to look for guys that have performed well on major championships, right? There's there's not a lot of trouble anywhere at Riviera, right? There's no water. There's not a great deal of trees. It's really a death by a million paper cuts course. Now, what do I mean by that? It's just the type of course where, again, like there's not a lot of double bogeys out there, but you can bogey every single hole, right? And if you start missing greens, and if you start missing six-foot par putts, you're suddenly going to blink and suddenly you've shot 75, right? So that's the thing about Riviera is like there's no water. There's no like, you know, holes where there's like trees everywhere or a desert or anything like that. I mean, there are a couple holes where a barranca comes into play, but really it's just a course that's going to kind of sneak up on you, right? And you're just going to have a lot of six to eight footers for par. And again, if you miss those putts, you're going to blank and shoot 75, which is honestly the way that most major championships work as well. Like that's how U.S. Opens work, right? Is that you're just going to have so many more par putts from six to eight feet. And over time, if you start missing those putts, you're going to shoot 75. That's what happens at U.S. Opens. Uh, in terms of course history, Riviera uh, ranks seventh out of 38 courses in correlation of success with course history. Uh, it is a very nuanced course. Adam Scott won on his first appearance in 2005, uh, but that is the only first-time winner in the last two decades. Um, and the thing about Riviera that's fun too, and TPC Sawgrass is is kind of like this as well, but it's not the type of course where just because you've been good at Riviera before, like you can still absolutely miss the cut. This course will expose you if you're not in good form. This isn't a course like Pebble Beach where, you know, Spieth can show up with no form and contend. Like, you look at the guys that have been great here, and almost all of them have had a stinker in there as well. Bubba's won here a bunch. He's also missed the cut here a bunch. DJ's been awesome here. He's also had a couple of stinkers here. JT's had some great weeks here. He's also had some terrible ones. I remember in 2021, not last year, but the year before, you know, Rory was entering the week with immaculate course history through like four appearances. He'd been awesome in all four appearances, but he wasn't in good form and he missed the cut badly because his game wasn't there. So yes, I think you want to look at course history, but I don't think it's the type of course where you can say, oh, you know, just because a guy's played well here before, 
I don't really care how he's playing right now. He's like a lock at Riviera. He always plays well at Riviera. I would just be a little bit careful with that because I think this course can expose you pretty quickly uh, if you're not in good form. Um, and it's a it's a really unique golf course, right? And they're they're not a not a lot of comp courses that immediately come to mind. I, I kind of almost find it like insulting uh, to compare Riviera to some of like the modern PGA Tour courses because it's just architecturally operating on such a higher level in my opinion you know if you want to look at Torrey Pines or Pebble Beach because of the POA that's okay with me I would prefer to just look at putting at those courses instead of general course history Um, but the only two that I will have a little bit of are Augusta uh, and I wouldn't even say that like Augusta is even a comp I would describe it more as just like a lot of the same things that you have to do well at Augusta. You also have to do really well at Riviera, which is putting inside 10 feet, short game, mid iron play, you know, hitting off of uneven lies, deep bunkers, right? There's a lot of strategy and nuance involved because they're both golden age designs. Um, And I know the agronomy is different. And I know that the fairways are a hell of a lot wider at Augusta, and it's it's probably still more of a driver heavy course in Riviera, but they do embody the same ethos where the emphasis is on the second shot. It's all about having a kind of complete, well balanced game. You have to be creative. You have to work the ball both ways off the tee. You're not going to get a lot of flat lies, and that's why there's been so much overlap over the uh, uh between these two leaderboards and like of course like it's the same thing where it's like is there overlap on the leaderboards because the best players always play at Riviera and the best players always play the Masters like yeah of course there's some of that right but if you look a little bit deeper even into like some of the guys that aren't like as good overall players you know you're going to find you're going to find guys that specifically raise their baseline on Augusta. And again, I'll keep coming back to guys like Bubba, right? Where I don't believe that it's a coincidence that this guy is able to consistently raise their game at both places based on the skill set that it's requiring. And Spieth, you know, talked about the same thing. And Spieth has actually been kind of sneaky good. At Riviera, he's he's somebody I'm actually looking at this week, coming off a good week in Phoenix. But there's this element of creativity um, at both places. And if you want to, you know, I generally am lower on these things, but there might be something to the Aussie thing. You know, Adam Scott, Mark Leishman, Cam Smith, Aaron Baddeley, all those guys, top fives at uh, at Riviera and Augusta for that matter too. Um, so, you know, Adam Scott was talking about with courses in the sand belt. And again, I, I don't know if that's a coincidence. It's kind of the same style of golf. And then outside of the Augusta connection, the only other comp course that really comes to mind, I think is Southern Hills. Um, both are golden age designs where you're not really going to have a ton of flat lies, really, really undulating greens and deep bunkers and, and similar tougher scoring tests. And again, a lot of crossover on those leaderboards. Cameron Young finished top five at both Southern Hills and Riviera in his first appearance. Matt Fitzpatrick, top fives at Riviera and Southern Hills. 
Justin Thomas has been great at Riviera with, I think, multiple top fives. I know he's got a runner-up, um, and obviously he won at Southern Hills. Even Mito Pereira, who finished runner-up at Southern Hills, top 15 in his first appearance at, um, at Riviera last year. So I added all of this up in a model together, and here's my top 20. These are, in my opinion, you know, it's some of the most well-balanced golfers. I think there's some a lot of chalk at the top, but there's some surprises in there as well. So number one for me is Rory McIlroy. Um, I don't think that's a massive surprise because I still think, you know, at this point between Rom and Rory, I'm accepting of both arguments, but I still, from a strokes gain perspective, uh, Rory is statistically the most well-rounded golfer in the world still, and he has been for quite some time, and that's why he's number one on a Riviera model, right? The guy who's going to be number two on a Riviera model, Xander Shoffley, right? Really, really well-balanced game. I have Tony Finau as number three. Not a huge shock to me either. He was number one in my model last week at at Phoenix. Um He's just, my numbers love what Tony Finau is doing right now. Number four is Max Homa, who is another sneaky, well-rounded player who has created a skill set where he's not necessarily elite at one specific thing, but he has a really, really well-balanced game. And he has weeks where he's going to get it done off the tee for you. He's going to get it done with his irons. He's got a pretty good short game. He's a good bunker player. Really, really good putter inside 10 feet. I mean, pound for pound over a large sample size, Max Home is one of the best putters inside 10 feet. Um, number five, Shane Lowry, which who was horrible this week at, um, at Phoenix and ruined some very, very good DraftKings lineups for me. Going to be curious to see if I go back there. I mean, he was 8,207% last week. So you're going to get a low ownership number on a guy that is top five in my model statistically, um, which I love. But he did look really freaking bad at uh, Scottsdale. So maybe he just doesn't have it right now. Number six is Patrick Cantlay. And this is the one guy that I can assure you that I will, eh, you know, I can't say anything definitively. But he's the one guy that I would say as it stands now on Sunday mid-morning, I'm like 95% sure that I'm going to bet Patrick Cantlay coming off a missed cut. I just think that somebody needs to drop, right? Uh, Because you look at the elite players, and everyone kind of played well, right? Scotty Scheffler's odds, they're just going down. Even Rory, a top 30 finish, right? His odds aren't going anywhere, Rom's odds aren't going anywhere. Xander's going to finish top 10. His odds aren't going anywhere. Finau's going to finish top 10. His odds aren't going anywhere. Justin Thomas's odds are probably going to go down, right? And then I bet you, you know, you have got like Hideki's odds. Hideki's odds aren't going anywhere. Max Homa's odds aren't going anywhere. Um, Spieth odds are probably going to go down. Will Zalatoris, Will Zalatoris is playing this week. Now you have to add Will Zalatoris into the mix. I bet you Jason Day's odds goes down. Uh, Ricky Fowler's odds are going down. And like Tom Kim's odds aren't going anywhere. Sung J.M.'s odds aren't going anywhere. 
Hideki's odds aren't going anywhere. All these guys. So you have to move someone up. And coming off a missed cut, I think with all the great players in this field, based on how he's been playing, like 25s on Patrick Cantlay might be there. They might be there. You know, there is going to be a player in this field that a lot of people believe is like a top, you know, 10 player in the world that you're going to see in the mid-20s. I mean, it happened last week in Phoenix, right, where I didn't really understand why Tony Finau was 25 to 1, but, I mean, you have to put some of these guys at 25 to 1. I wasn't necessarily expecting a 24 to 1 on Justin Thomas, but we got it, right? And so I think the two guys that you have to drop are the two elite players that missed the cut this week, and that's Patrick Cantlay and Colin Morikawa. And I think Morikawa is going to be in the 30s. Now, I have some questions and concerns about Morikawa. I know there was a little something more involved in well as why he maybe didn't play well last week, so I'm generally willing to give him the pass. I don't think I like him on this golf course the way that I like Patrick Cantley in the sense that there are like some clear weaknesses in Morikawa's game from a statistical standpoint that I think Riviera could expose. He's not a good bunker player. And this is a guy who finished second at this tournament last year, right? So it's not like he can't play well here. I just have, looking at his his skill set over time, I still have some questions with Morikawa. But is there a chance that he's 35-1 to 1 next week? I think there is. Um, and so, can't, but Cantlay, if you give me a 25 on Cantlay, coming off a missed cut where, you know, he had a 14-footer for par, on 18 to make the cut and it like barely just missed. Um, he hit the ball. Well, he gained strokes, ball striking. Like I think can't, and he is a, you know, he's a UCLA guy. Riviere is one of his favorite courses, by the way, he's kind of like a, a low key architecture guy. You know, I was looking at like, he made a list of his top 10 golf courses and I was like, wow, he's got some, he's got some good taste in here. And Riviera was one of his 10 favorite. It might've been number one, honestly, I'd have to look back. There's a tweet out there somewhere, but I I think Cantlay, I think you're going to get a good number on Cantlay this week. And he's definitely a guy that I have my eyes on coming off a miscut. Um, Tommy Fleetwood was seventh in my model. Uh, He also missed the cut in Phoenix. That is trouble right there. Uh, JT is number eight. I may stick around and just keep riding him because, and again, we're not finished with his round on Sunday, but I was just looking at his ball striking numbers, how he hit the ball in Phoenix over the first three days. He's close. And I've been saying he's close for a while. He was my favorite bet last week. Again, because of all of the great options. And again, because like, you can't move Scheffler up. You can't move Finau up. You can't move Xander up. You can't move Rom up, right? I think maybe, hopefully, JT, even if he finishes top five, maybe you still get something close to a 20 on him. You know, if that's the case, I would say my two favorite guys, just at a macro level before odds come out, are JT and Cantlay. Those are probably going to be the two guys that I write up later this evening when I do my golf monthly piece. Um, Again, I'm very curious to see how the final round of Phoenix plays out, but that's just what it 
feels for me now. Justin uh, or John Rahm is number nine. Hideki Matsuyama is number ten. Justin Rose is number eleven. Uh, Sung JM number twelve. Siwoo Kim thirteen. Will Zalatoris fourteen, which is interesting. Cam Young fifteen. Another interesting one. I almost got there on Cam Young last week. I'm I'm glad I didn't. I guess, but. I have my eye on Cam Young as well. Number 16, now we get to the a couple real surprises. I guess this is mainly just identifying a player that has been like in, an incredible mid-iron player um, and a really solid driver of the ball recently is Lee Hodges is 16. That's a good sleeper for you. I have Scotty Scheffler as 17. The only reason Scotty's so low is because he's just been like objectively terrible inside 10 feet. Um, which kills him. And then number 18 is uh, just ignore this one, Cameron Davis, um, who, again, I just, I, the wound is still fresh. The wound is still very fresh. But uh, is this a golf course that Cameron Davis should, on paper, have a lot of success at? Yes. But my model also seems to believe that he's like always the, he's like the best golfer in the world. So this is, you know, the lowest He's been in quite some time, and I think that's because you're starting to get some of those recent rounds in there where he's been so terrible at at Torrey Pines and the Amex that he's, you know, he was past couple weeks top 10 in my model. So he's at least he's starting to fall to 18th, but based on what his price is going to be, he's still probably going to be a top three value for me under 7.5K. I don't have any reason to believe that he'll be over 7.5K in this field anymore. No reason to believe that. I think he'll fall probably closer to like 7,200 this week. 19, Patrick Rogers. It's an interesting one. He's playing well in Phoenix this week. He's a great, you know, ton of success on the West Coast, ton of success on Pella. And then 20 is Tom Kim, who on paper, I, I don't, I want Tom Kim on courses where driving accuracy is more important. Um, I don't think this is too long of a course for Tom Kim, and he's still one of the best pound-for-pound middle iron players and overall approach players in this entire field. Um, But yeah, that's my top 20, Tom Kemp 20. Morikawa is 21, by the way, just for the record. Uh, So that'll do it for me. A lot going on this week. This is one of my favorite tournaments of the year. I will be out there at Riviera on Friday. Um, So come say hi if you are around and you can find me Later this week, uh, I will be doing a Monday morning uh, betting board preview with Jeff Feinberg on the Odds Checker YouTube channel. I will be doing a betting preview with Rick Gaiman on the 300 Yards to Unknown YouTube channel and podcast feed. Uh, I will have I will be back on this podcast feed on Tuesday morning with my good friend Stephen Hennessy, deputy editor at Golf Digest. Gotta have the guy who's in charge of the top 100 greatest courses in America on for one of the best courses that we see on the PGA Tour all year. So very excited to see my friend Steve. We were just in Las Vegas together. Um, That should be a very good podcast. And then all of my articles for Rick Run Good and the Golf Digest uh, expert picks call. Um, So Monday, course breakdown. On Rick Rungood, Tuesday, Fantasy Golf Rankings, and Wednesday, Final DraftKings Thoughts. Uh, So enjoy the Super Bowl this afternoon. 
Don't go too crazy on props, you know, bet within your means, save some bankroll for Riviera. Uh, and good luck if you have, I don't know, Scheffler, or I guess it's Nick Taylor now starting to emerge in Phoenix. Um, maybe, who knows, maybe Sung Jay or Finau or JT can do something crazy on the back nine. Uh, but that will do it for me. Enjoy the Super Bowl, and we'll see you next time. Cheers. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.